Morning, y'all. Y'all, this Brittany mic isn't as cool as she makes it look. Gosh. All right. Is that, is that all right? Okay. Cool. All right. My name is Mallory, and I'm a part of the College of Preachers here at the table. Uh, we are a church that values center out leadership, uh, meaning that we take whatever power we have and we give it out from ourselves. And as part of that, the way that the fathers do that here is that they empower us to also proclaim good news to our community. Uh, you can also find me doing admin work. I serve on Vestry, and I am one of the co-directors of discipleship here at the church. But enough about me. Let's talk David and Bathsheba. <laughs> in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Y'all, we preached through the lectionary for most of the year. Uh, and last week and this week actually had alternate readings. Uh, and we had planned to be five weeks in John 6. But thank God for priests who listen to the Holy Spirit. Uh, because I think the two passages last week and this week are very relevant to what's going on in our world and even in our community. Um, there's a lot going on in this text. There's also a lot of, there's a soapbox moment, things not going on in this text. <laughs> um, I also want to make mention that this subject is really heavy. Um, this could bring up some things that maybe some of you have experienced in your lives. Uh, I'm aware that many women and men have been uh, verbally and or physically assaulted. And if you should find that some of this is triggering and that you need some extra support, Myself, Josie, she's in the back, uh, the priests, uh, Deacon Nancy, would be happy to pray with you. I got a little louder. Is that all right? Okay. All right. <laughs> so with all of that in mind, let's jump in. All right, our passage this week starts after the sexual assault of Bathsheba. And we're now in the repercussions of David's sin. Last week, David sees Bathsheba bathing on the rooftop. And he uses his power and privilege to take what he wants. And then he sends Bathsheba on her way. Even though David's sin was in last week's reading, I think it's important for us to revisit it. Like Father Ben said last week, this isn't just boys will be boys, kings will be kings. This was a sexual assault. This was a king using his power and privilege to rape another man's wife. The text mentioned that she was doing her ceremonial cleansing after her monthly cycle. Um, yes. Essentially, David calls for her, rapes her, and then sends her um, on her way home. The custom would then be for her to return home and then bathe again after her sexual encounter with David. First of all, I have to imagine the terror of Bathsheba as she returned to the place where David had decided he was going to take her and have his way. Can you imagine having to return to that place vulnerable, naked, wondering if he was still gazing upon you after what he had done? Second, her first bath was to cleanse herself after her monthly cycle had made her unclean. The second bath would have come after a sexual encounter that would have also made her unclean. But there are some things you cannot scrub away. 
I have to imagine that there was so much pain knowing that this story of what happened to her was probably going to die with her. What palace guard is going to risk his job to corroborate her story? What prosecutor would have the guts to stand up against the king? Power and privilege seem to have won the day. Church, today we proclaim the good news that in the midst of our broken stories, beaten up hearts and aching souls, God, our Redeemer, God who sees us, is present and at work in our pain, even in the injustice. God isn't only bringing simple resolutions to our problems, he's bringing revelation to our lives. Instead of quick fixes, he gives bread of life that lasts forever. Church, don't let your circumstances take away your sustenance. Receive the gift of bread always. Ooh, y'all. As I reflected on this text, I remembered a sermon that I heard once. I started attending church when I was about 12, and it wasn't long before I was on the front row every week with my Bible and my notebook ready to learn everything that I could learn. I was a sponge. I remembered these things. I wrote them down. I paid attention. Uh, But this one was a little different. It wasn't just a lecture, something new to learn. Uh, It felt complicated in my spirit. The preacher kind of slyly said, Bathsheba knew exactly what she was doing bathing on that rooftop by the castle. He went on to say that it was her power play to the throne. Church, I have to wonder, why do we belittle David's sin? And why do we scapegoat Bathsheba? We belittle David's sin because David's supposed to be the hero of the story. Heroes have power. Heroes save the day. David's supposed to be untouchable. He's a man after God's own heart. In many cases, we use him as a symbol of the Messiah to come. But what do we miss by not calling David's sin what it is? We miss that this isn't just David's story. We miss that God is also present to a woman that, according to society, was of no importance. We miss out on God giving David the gift of repentance and absolution. I think we scapegoat Bathsheba because we still somewhat buy into the cultural lie that women are property. We've spent thousands of years objectifying women, weaponizing women's bodies. It's easier to sustain systems of abuse if we blame her, the weapon. It's hard to reckon with the fact that someone God ordained or who is after God's own heart could do something like this to someone if they didn't deserve it. We can't fathom their sin, that God's elect could sin in a way that could hurt someone so much. Instead, we heap pain on victims because we can't reconcile the story. It's easier to make a polarizing decision than it is to sit in the tension of complicated pain. But the good news is that God isn't only in the silver lining He isn't neglecting the pain and the sin until we get it together. He isn't only in his plan for the world or our lives. He is not only concerned with his agenda. He's in the in-between. He's in the tension. When you are the sinner or you have been sinned against, God is present. Church, in the midst of our broken stories, 
beaten up hearts and aching souls. God, our Redeemer, God who sees us, is present and at work in our pain, even in the injustice. God isn't only bringing simple resolutions to our problems, he's bringing revelation to our lives. It's not quick fixes, it's bread of life that lasts forever. Receive the gift of bread always. The text is confusing when it comes to justice. Amen. (laughs) Bathsheba is raped, and then she's forced to marry her rapist. When I look at this story in her shoes at first glance, I don't see much good news here. I know that she gives birth to the heir to the throne, but she also loses a child. When I read this passage, it feels a bit like God finally gives her the son as hush money. It feels like God saying, you let me keep my David, I'll give you a Solomon. I've lost my spot in my notes. I found them. (laughs) When I think about the culture and how they view women as property and how in the context of David's power and privilege as king, y'all, he should have got away with this. This man slayed Goliath. He was anointed by God. Couldn't have raped anybody. Let's zoom out of the story for a minute. If you're looking for an equation of solving the tension in this text, it's not here, y'all. But what we will find is a present God who cares about what we do and how it affects us. Some of the commentary for John 6 talks about what Jesus is teaching feeling confusing. Jesus is telling the disciples, hey, You like that miracle of feeding the 5,000? Guess what? I've got bread that endures. In fact, I'm that bread. You can have this bread. It's not that physical bread. It's me physical bread. Y'all, if somebody told me they were bread and I could take a bite, I would hightail it out of there so fast. (laughs) Jesus' intent wasn't to confuse. He was changing paradigms. He's creating completely new ways of being in the world. This isn't a resolution for one hungry stomach. This is a revelation for a lifetime of community with the Father. So part of the good news is that Jesus gave new ways to make meaning in our story, new ways to view all that we thought was justice and goodness, that our invitation is to believe he is who he says he is, the bread of life, even when our lens for viewing circumstances and events dictate otherwise. Even when our paradigms and cultural understandings can't make peace with the story, David can be God's anointing, anointed and have abused Bathsheba. A person in the church, a leader, a pastor could have done really great work in your life and hurt you or someone else. What Jesus is doing with the disciples, God is doing here with David. He is shifting cultural paradigms to kingdom paradigms. No need for power grabs and abuse. That isn't welcome in the kingdom. But I will give you bread that lasts forever. I will give you myself to be communion with you forever. You will have enough because I am enough. Let's zoom back into our story. It's important to note that when David was going to get away with raping Bathsheba, 
God called David to repentance. Maybe now, with the lens that God is present to and advocating for Bathsheba, we can see that God didn't give Bathsheba Solomon as a settlement. God gave Bathsheba Solomon as a promise. In the context of her time, she went from being property to being queen mother. Not only did God speak out on behalf of her and call David to repentance, God grafts her into the lineage of Jesus. She's not just queen mother in her lifetime bred for today. She is woven into eternity, bred for always. When our culture exegetes through the lens of patriarchy, it steals away the goodness of a God who never forgets the oppressed. It steals away a God who sees me, who sees you, all of you. Nothing hidden, known, accepted, loved. In the midst of our broken stories, beaten up hearts and aching souls, God, our Redeemer, God who sees us, is present and at work in our pain, even in the injustice. Friends, it's really challenging to see and understand what God is up to when he's changing paradigms that don't compute with how we see the world. In the times of King David, God is working during a blatantly oppressive situation for women. We've made some leaps and bounds today, but we're still in the throes of a culture that belittles women. We accept cultural norms because so much of it flies under the radar. It's simple things, it's small things, it's also huge things, life-altering things. We hear stories from women that men won't even make eye contact with them because they could be dangerous. Women are only temptresses waiting to pounce. We hear stories of men telling women's husbands the information that they need to know instead of talking directly to them. We hear stories of women being pressured into sexual acts that they were not comfortable with because it's part of God's will for marriage. We see preachers with power and privilege who leverage their giftings to coax women into sexual favors for the sake of the gospel, of course. When we view scripture through the lens of oppressive systems, what do we teach in the church? We teach heresy. We teach a false God. How many women have withdrawn and held her tongue because of poor hermeneutics? Because we took the side of the oppressor because he had the power or the anointing? Church, we heard the good news last week that there is plenty to go around in the kingdom of God. Church, let us lay down our lens of scarcity, of belonging, and place, of abusive power systems, so that we can see the full goodness of God expressed through us all. Y'all, I don't say any of this as someone who has it figured out. Uh, Earlier in the week, Father Matt encouraged me to name who I am and what I do around here when I introed myself in the sermon, Uh, and I had instant terror. Because I thought, they're just going to think I'm trying to make a power move for the throne. And they'll think I'm rude. And here I am, pulling an inception move, still explaining it away in my sermon. But as as an illustration. I feel the tension in who a woman is and what a woman does in the church and my emotions, too. 
God's done a lot of redeeming my relationship to my tears. My own trauma dictated that if I started to cry, I might not ever stop. So there is that. (laughs) But I also spent much of my life pressing down my feelings because I wholeheartedly believed that they were a weakness, that they were repulsive, that they were a thorn in the flesh to be managed. Women who weep can't be part of the mission of God because it's a nuisance. You can't get stuff done. My nickname growing up was the Stone Cold Sister because nothing could make me cry. If y'all been around here a couple weeks, you'll know that it takes very little for me to weep. (laughs) Yes, it's the redeeming work of Jesus in my life. To realize my tears are a gift from God, not a nuisance to hide. My womanhood is an expression of God. Church, I think to only view scripture in its own culture and context is to dissociate from storehouses of good news. But contextualizing the gospel is also part of our work for today. This text speaks a lot to what patriarchy has and is doing in our churches. It costs women their voice. It costs men their humanity. It silences the beauty and goodness in womanhood as being part of the image of God, and it crushes men into thinking that they are a one-size-fits-all human. Men, patriarchy has dictated who is a man, what a man does, and how a man inhabits the world. It says you have to be the hero, you have to have the power, you think about sex every eight seconds. Did anybody else hear that statistic in youth group? That was insane. But in creating a stereotype... We've stripped you of the beauty that you offer us. In case you haven't heard it today, you are not only a sex-crazed maniac who can't control your inner beast. Men, you don't have to be the hero of the story. Men, you are emotionless beings tasked to making sure everything runs smoothly. You aren't less of a man because you do express your emotions. Don't hear me say these things aren't potential struggles, but do hear me say that they aren't your identity. They aren't the fullness of who you were created to be. Men, your humanity is a gift. Your emotions are sacred. You are more than your sex drive and your ability to succeed. Your personhood, the uniqueness of who you are, is a celebration of a good God. Women, patriarchy demands your silence. It demands your body. It demands your confidence. It demands you write exclamation marks in your emails because you don't want to come across as rude or aggressive. Let the listener understand. Patriarchy is not a gospel truth. It is a poor framework that has been used to leverage your giftings against you. Women, your voice is important. Your body is sacred. Your confidence is in who Jesus says he is and that he calls you good. Women, your singleness is a gift to your community. You are not dangerous to the men around you, and it isn't a problem to be solved. Women, your gift of mothering isn't dependent on children you may or may not birth. Your emotions are not a nuisance. They are an invitation to realness before a father to be fully known. Women, your intelligence and the way you see the world is part of the Imago Dei, the image of God. Patriarchy tells you to belittle yourself and be quiet. God does not. Jesus spent much of his ministry giving value to women. 
It is not beyond me that the women included in the genealogy of Jesus almost all had their bodies abused or were forced to use them as tools to put food on the table. The world belittles and negates you, but God says, I see you. You are valuable. You are known. You are not forgotten. In the midst of our broken stories, beaten up hearts and aching souls, God, our Redeemer, God who sees us, is present and at work in our pain, even in the injustice. God isn't only bringing simple resolutions to our problems, he's bringing revelation to our lives. No more quick fixes. This is bread of life that lasts forever. Receive the gift of bread always. Church, this is a lot. And there's a lot more going on here that we haven't, that we haven't uncovered today. But even in taking a small bite of the elephant and uncovering this iceberg of bad news, this way it's for us to respond. That's how I get Cam to eat her uh, food she doesn't want. Eat like an elephant, one bite at a time. First, I encourage you to listen to the voices of the oppressed. When Hagar's body was leveraged by Abraham and Sarah to create a sideways promise of God, God didn't abandon her. He was present to her and advocated for her. God named him the God who sees me. Let us follow suit in seeing and listening to the oppressed. Because God does. Church, what does that look like in your life today? Who are those in your life that you can see and listen to? Women at work, women in your faith community, women in your home. This isn't just... Oh, poor Bathsheba, now I know. Church, you are now empowered through the bread of life to be present to the hurting and the pain of the oppressed because of what happened in this story. Second, maybe you've done this, but I want to encourage you to read a book this year by a woman theologian. Read a book by someone who doesn't look like you and inhabits space like you. Women. BIPOC women have given me some of the richest learning and growth. Women have always been full of the wisdom of God. Patriarchy has just silenced them. Third, we're starting DNA groups soon. I encourage you to join a group as a safe place to support and aid you in deconstructing things like this. I think so many of us are in touch with what needs to be done and where we've got it wrong. But DNA groups, these are our discipleship groups. They are a place for us to learn how to listen to what God is doing in our midst, in our lives, and to receive the good news that brings lasting transformation. Good news is the bread of life. Church, let us hold tight to this good news this week. Let it soak down into your soul. Let the oppressive systems at work in your life be brought to light so that you can see a different way away towards the cross. Let repentance be a gift towards the Father. Today, receive the gift of bread always. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.